Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Off the Beat with Brett Jensen is presented by Felix Savannah's Mercedes-Benz of South Charlotte, Charlotte's premier Mercedes-Benz dealer, and the Carolinas' number one volume sales leader. Over 300 new and 200 pre-owned vehicles always available. Visit mbcharlotte.com. All right, everybody, wake the kids and phone the neighbors because it's time for another edition of Off the Beat with Brett Jensen, and I am your host. And this week, we're going to get into a couple of various topics. We've got Bob Lacey of the Bob and Sherry Show joining us. He's on a national radio network. We've also got relationship advice when we're talking about men and women, and sometimes when women make more money than men, how do men handle the situation? But first, I want to talk about things that go on while I'm chasing stories. And this past week, we had President Donald Trump in town, and I had to cover it from beginning to end. I'm telling you, you haven't seen a crowd until you've been to a Donald Trump rally. It is absolutely outstanding. I even made the joke halfway through while I was out there covering it that I seemed to see more camouflage there than I did at a Cabela's Outfitters shop. And then later on towards the afternoon, as the event started progressing towards getting closer and closer to the president speaking, more people started showing up from work and wearing their button downs and their khakis and their suits and their dresses and their business outfits. So it was a wide variety of the type of people that were actually there. And we were actually just talking in the newsroom earlier saying it would be really kind of funny or cool to go around and cover all these different Trump rallies. And I said, well, if I went and covered these Trump rallies, I'd only want to go to there to people watch. That's the only reason I'd want to do it. I've now covered President Trump, but the people that you see at these events are a very, very wide range. And I would love to see and love to know if the people that are showing up in Charlotte that were making the trek from Georgia, South Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, and obviously all parts of North Carolina, if the same type of people that were showing up here are the same type of people that would show up in Michigan, Ohio, maybe Missouri, Pennsylvania, I would love to see the demographics and the dynamics between all the different people that show up for these Trump rallies. But the outfits that these people wore, oh goodness, I'm telling you right now, it is something to behold. It was almost like if it was Halloween, but you could only dress as the American flag because that's what it was. It was an American Halloween and all sorts of getups. Like we had entire families show up at the Trump rally wearing flags and dressed like bunting like you would see at baseball all-star games or the World Series. These two little girls were there with their family, and the girls were probably five and seven, six and eight, somewhere around in there, and they were wearing their full red, white, blue, stars and stripes little outfits along with their parents who were dressed in a very similar fashion. You had people wearing the flag as a cape. You had people walking around in shorts, even though it was 42 degrees and rainy all day, walking around in shorts that looked like the American flag, shirts in the American flag, 
hats were all over the place. It was a unique experience. And I looked at one of the other reporters that were sitting there with me and I said, hey, was it like this when Obama and the Democrats campaigned back in 08 and back in 2012 and even at the Democratic National Convention that came to Charlotte? And they said, well, yeah, there's some of this, not quite to this extent like you're getting here, but there was some of it. But I'll also tell you this. A woman from Augusta, Georgia showed up and we were talking to her. She came up with her husband, left her kids with her parents back in Augusta, and she was all dressed up and she had the Statue of Liberty headband on. Like it was like one of those little styrofoam things with a pointy thing sticking out, the crown sticking out. And I asked her, I said, why are you getting all dressed up? She said, well, it's an American pep rally. It's like a pep rally for America. And I went, that's, that's as good of an answer as I've ever heard from anyone. It was fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic. So I, I would strongly recommend everyone go to a political rally, especially if Donald Trump's once, not to cause any fights, not to do any protesting, nothing of that sort, just to sit down, watch, and drink in the atmosphere. No matter how much you love it or how much you hate it, it's a unique experience. All right, everybody, joining us now, it's a pretty high privilege, to be honest with you, and it's Bob Lacey of The Bob and Sherry Show. Now, yes, he's extremely famous because of The Bob and Sherry Show. It's on 40 radio stations across America. He's in 177 countries around the world because of the Armed Forces Radio Network. And that's great and all, but I have no desire to talk to him about that. I have no desire to talk about when he had a number one radio show on WBT in the early 70s. The only thing I want to talk to him about is his television career, which lasted about 10 years. And it was a TV show called PM Magazine. This was a television show that came on every single night of the week. And it was an actual magazine show for television. There could be stories about everything from a hog hollering contest to crazy tribe things going on in Fiji. Well, Bob was one of the main reporters. So you never knew where he was going to be or end up or what kind of stories were going to be broadcasted. So what I want to do is talk to him about some of these crazy things that were going on that he had to report on and all the things that were going on behind the camera, things that we never got to see as a viewer. And now, full disclosure, I watched this show religiously all through middle school. I watched it religiously going into high school. It was one of my all-time favorite shows, and there's nothing on television like it anymore. And I want to talk to him about that. So without further ado, Mr. Bob Lacey. All right, first of all, Bob, I'm going to say thank you for doing this. I know you don't do these a lot, so it really means a lot to that, me. That because no one this. asks, to be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> all right, so PM Magazine, why all of a sudden did you decide you just wanted to do television? Why? How did you go, you know what, I've been doing radio for all these years, now I'm going to do TV. I wasn't getting paid enough for what I was delivering, I felt. We were on WBT, we were... I had a 26 share, uh, absolutely number one, and um, the money was just okay. And I was getting bored. My friend Harold Johnson left to go to Channel 9, and so I'd have to move in with somebody else to do the show. And I just thought, eh, maybe I'll do something different. But I couldn't figure out what it was. So a former WBT guy, Don Russell, said to me, Hey, they, they have these uh, auditions for some new show that's going on upstairs. You should go up. And I was the last guy to go up. They had like 40 guys went up, and I was the last one. 
And I didn't even know what, what it was, but I walked in and I said, explain the, to the director, a uh, guy named Norman Prevat, explain to me what PM Magazine is. I don't even know what it is. And he said, well, it's going to be a, a national slash local show. They have local hosts and some of their stories will be seen nationally. So if you're on it, you could be seen on 100 TV stations. And I said, that's pretty cool. And then he said, well, tell me what you would like to do with a show that is, is uh, travel-based, it's uh, lifestyle-based. And I just explained what I thought would be interesting. And I did that by saying, there's a guy named Studs Terkel who wrote a book called Working. And he took interesting everyday people. I said, I would like to do that. And I would also like to travel while somebody else pays for it. And he laughed and he gave me the job. Well, I know people are always going to ask you, oh, what are some of the best places that you went? And I know that you were all through the South Pacific because I watched you nearly every single day all through middle school and high yeah, school. Yeah. But what were some of the places that you couldn't wait to get the hell out of? Um, a, a, a farm in Georgia where I was sent to do a story on fire ants, <laughs> the march of fire ants from Florida to North Carolina. And it was, you know, they, they, they always pick like the mid, middle of the day in August. So it's like 105 degrees and we're kicking red dirt trying to get stir up fire ants. And, and it's pretty easy to do. Right, and they're going right. up your pants. I didn't know what the hell they were. And they're biting my legs and they're <laughs> heading for areas they shouldn't be heading to. It was horrifying. It was horrifying. Um, I'm trying to think where else. Oh, um, you had to do some stuff that you just felt stupid doing. We were up in the mountains, and I actually said, Hi, welcome to PM Magazine. This is the North Carolina's largest cheese factory. <laughs> because that's, that's a tourist destination. And there's some cheese that's being, you know, I don't know, in a big vat behind us, and you're supposed to sell it, and that was awful. <laughs> were there ever times... Because I've ran into similar situations like this during my 20 years as a reporter. Were there ever moments that you were actually scared or nervous or in dangerous situations, and you're or or even involved the law? Where they're like, "What are you doing over there?" Like, were there I did ever stupid situations? things? Oh yeah, I did really stupid things. Um, not so stupid, but something that really got my attention was going to a swamp in eastern North Carolina, and it, I forget the name of the town, but it's the farthest uh, place that alligators are, and so. My uh, crew and I, there'd be three of us, got in a john boat with two guys who were seniors from North Carolina State, and they're studying and banding alligators. <laughs> so you go out in a john boat, which is about maybe the uh, 14 feet. Okay. And it's the middle of the night, and I say, how do you find the alligators? And they go with this, and it's a light. And they just hit the light, and they pan the light across the swamp as we start paddling and all of a sudden you see two red embers just like captain hook and I, he said there's one and we start going toward it and you haven't had adrenaline flowing until you've had a 12 foot alligator pulled in snapping right next to you and it's two o'clock in the morning yeah i'm good on that. <laughs> i'm good on that I'm good on that. And then, uh, actually, the stupidest, I did two really stupid things. One of them, in Statesville, they have the um, championship for horseshoe throwers, horseshoe championship. Yeah. And these guys come from all over the United States, and it's in Statesville. I don't know if they still do it. 
So it's not the most exciting thing. And with PM Magazine, they said, get involved. (laughs) So I'm talking to the guy who's the national champion. And I said, "Um, what can I do, you know, kind of be a part of this? Can you show me? He goes, go put your head on that stake that I'm going to throw it at, the metal stake that they ring it with. No, no, no. And I said, okay. And he said, I'll ring it right under your neck. And I did. I put my head on it. And I rested my chin on it. And these are iron, large horseshoes. And the first one came, and I heard it thud. He missed right in front of me. That got my attention that this guy's not perfect. I mean, he's great. He's the national champion. And then he did the second one, and I I closed my eyes. And there's an actual photograph of me closing my eyes. And uh, I could hear the ring just like that. I wouldn't do that today. That's almost like you know a knife thrower, you know, like yeah, very the famous close. The, the, or the famous Johnny Carson skit with that's the axe. Exact, I never thought of that, but that's exactly right. The other thing was Carowinds. Uh, you wanted to get on what was called the national reel. It was a big deal to be on a hundred TV stations. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so Carowinds used to have these biplane shows where there's like a World War One plane with the open cockpits, yeah. and two wings. And so we. We uh, got a guy who did the show. He would do flips and this and that. He turned it upside down over Carowinds, and it was pretty cool. So he said, well, you can go up with me. So up we go, and we had the WBTV helicopter um, tracking us. And I'm doing the open. Hi, everybody. Welcome to PM Magazine. I'm Bob Lacey. Take a look at this. And the guy rolls it. So that was pretty cool. And it was a great opening, and they loved it. And then he said, don't be nervous. And they're shooting us from the helicopter. He takes the biplane. Now, there's, this is open air. Yeah. I got a helmet on. I looked, I, you know, you look so stupid. You got the, you got the flying the, scarf. The leather thing. Yeah, I didn't have the flying scarf. <laughs> right. I wish I did. Uh, he says, I know what I'm doing. And he, he took it straight up. So I'm kind of looking like at the sun. He goes straight up and he turned the plane off. Oh, no. And, no, no. and there's no propellers. And it falls backwards toward the ground. And we're heading now toward the ground. And he turns it on and guns it. And uh, he obviously didn't tell you that was something. He obviously didn't tell you he was going to do that, did he? No. He was an incredible pilot. I saw him later. We did some B roll and down in uh, somewhere in South Carolina. He came in close to the ground, flipped the plane upside down, and he was, the, the, the tail was maybe. 10 feet off the ground and he's he's flying upside down he was Ooh. he was a hell of a pilot I, i'll let you get out of here on this one when you went from radio to television people knew your voice in maybe local commercials but at that particular point in in the country even though there was cable in your last years local television stations were still a very big deal everyone You're knew right. everyone on local You're how right. did it change for you in terms of you were walking into the Harris Theater one day, people would know your voice, know your name because of radio. Now they see you and they recognize your face. How yeah. did that change for you going from radio to TV in terms of fame? It, it was amazing. The show had a, it's hard to believe, and I don't want to use a lot of technical terms here, but today if you have a TV show and you have maybe 8% of the audience, that's, you're doing real good. You're doing real good. PM Magazine on WBTV for the first few years had a 56 share. So that means Crazy. every even if you hated me, you, you knew who I was. So when, when my wife and I had a baby, had our first two children, we'd go to South Park, and it took forever. 
we were just stopped every few feet to see the baby, but everybody wanted to say hi. And you have to learn to always be nice, even if you feel mm. lousy. Mm. You well, know? you know, it's funny. Because otherwise, you're, the, you're that jerk. That's right. Well, it's funny because I told you I grew up watching you, and I was in my Harris Theater in South Park maybe a year or so ago, and I saw you walking by, and I went, oh, my God, that's Bob Lacey. Like, immediately these rushes from my childhood 30 yeah, years ago were coming how, through. Yeah, you, you really – those things that you uh, experience in your childhood, I think, stick with you longer, whether it's a local television guy like me or – I met um, Roy Rogers – Roy Rogers was a big movie star when I was four, mm. right? So that's a long time ago. When he walked through the the uh, when he walked through the halls here, I think I was about twenty one years old. I looked over and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I just that I had a chance to talk to him. And it's just because it's different when you get those impressions when you're a kid. They're just stronger, you know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, I saw, you know, oh my God, that's Bob Lacey. And I don't get starstruck. I, I've interviewed every athlete in the planet a right. thousand times. Right. And I went, oh, that's Bob. Like, Yeah, because I, of those kooky shows that we used to do the, from was the best? Uh, from they, Polynesia. The, no. the, the, the only bad thing about being recognized is I would get, God, you're, you're shorter than I thought you would be. <laughs> I mean, like, it's like every third time. And then you come up with an answer like, this is all God gave me, okay? <laughs> Which, now you sound like an ass. You know? well, then, or so then you, you could always careful. go, well, you're taller than I thought. Yeah, I never got that. Yeah, you did, probably. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. great. That's great. Well, thanks for having me. No, again, Bob, yeah. thank you for, so much for joining us. Thanks a lot. All right, everybody. It's now time for the segment that we're going to do on a regular basis. And it's about relationships, whether it's dating, whether it's marriage, boy-girl relationships, because Lord knows it is extremely difficult out there. Even if you're married, it's extremely difficult out there. Although I will tell you this, right now, people are staying married longer than they have since any time since the 1950s. How about that? The average marriage in America right now is just over 15 years. I want to say it's 19 years is the average marriage in America right now. That's amazing. When you consider all through the 80s, all through the 90s, the marriages were lasting barely 10 years. and Now we're up to 19 years. And there are several reasons for that. But the biggest reason actually falls in the lap of the women. They're the reason marriages are lasting longer than ever. And this is a scientific fact. It's not me just guessing off the top of my head. The reason is women are waiting longer than ever before to get married. They're not getting married straight out of high school. They're not getting married straight out of college to the frat boy that they were dating. And then the marriage ends up breaking up and dissolving five, six, seven years later. No. The reason is women are waiting longer is because they are making more money than in the history of mankind on this planet. They have, women have never made as much money in the history of the world than they're making right now. That is a statistical fact. Here's another statistical fact for you. 40% of all women make more than their husbands. How about that? 
And because these women are making so much more money now, they don't, in theory, need a man to support them. They've got their own career. They've got their own life decisions. They don't need a man to help them pay for a car or get a nice house or a nice condo or a nice apartment. They've got their own career. And so they're actually marrying for love. And even though you think you're in love at 22, you don't know what the hell love is. No, there are those rare occasions where if you get married at 22, great. And you're married until you're 72. That's awesome. But for the most part, they fail. And statistics show the younger you are, the greater the likelihood that you're divorced, that you're going to get divorced. But women making more money than their men, than their husbands, 40% of all women. Think about that. And I was at a charity function a couple weeks ago. And a couple of men, both who do extremely well, well over 200000 probably over $300,000 a year, early 40s. And each one said they don't think they could handle if their wives made more than they do. Which absolutely caught me off guard because I'm like, well, well wait a minute. If you're making $250,000, $300,000 a year and your wife's making more, that means you have a household income of over a half a million dollars a year. What, what, what's the problem? And even if you're a man, let's say you're a man who works as a social worker. Social workers make no money, maybe $40,000 a year, 35, 40, or you work for a nonprofit. You're not going to make any money whatsoever. And maybe your wife works at IT, selling IT, and she's making $250,000 a year. But both of these men said, no, they couldn't handle if their wives actually made more than them. And it, and it completely caught me off guard because they felt like she was going then would have to make all the decisions financially. She would have all the decisions on what happened with their children and raising the children. If there was a money question, she would have final say-so as, quote, head of the household. And I wanted to say, well, do you do that now? And do you put your wife in that position where you make all the decisions financially? And do you consider yourself head of the household and making all the decisions concerning the children? And they're like, well, no, we talk about it. And I was like, so what's the difference? Like, you don't think you'd talk about it if she was making more money? And I think that's going to be an issue that men are going to have to start dealing with. They're going to have to start learning, like I said, already. Already in America, 40% of all women make more than their husbands. And that number is only going to get higher and higher and higher. And I don't think it's going to be too much longer before women actually start making more than their husbands. So it just caught me off guard. And I would like to hear your feedback about this. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, please do so at Brett underscore Jensen. That's B-R-E-T-T underscore J-E-N-S-E-N. And also reach out to me if you have any questions or suggestions on someone you'd like me to talk to, or if you have comments or suggestions about the show, things you like, things you don't like, please hesitate. I'm open. Don't hesitate. I'm all open to hearing suggestions about this. So please reach out to me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen. And again, thanks for joining us. We look forward to talking to you next week where we've got some more special guests lined up and great and interesting topics. I'm Brett Jensen, and you've been listening to Off the Beat with Brett Jensen.
Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench, everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.